and a great story. We have been talking about the power of prayer, that you can find joy in the journey through prayer. And I wanted to give you a living example of how prayer works. And that's a living example. That's a, that's a documented testimony to the healing power of God through prayer. And so I want to come back and I want to challenge us with Romans 12, 12 again. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And I want you to understand, you know, last week we, we went over the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we'll be focusing on prayer for about the next month or so. And by the way, it's nice to have you back, Beth. She'll be with us for the next month. So let's give her a round of applause. Glad she's here with us helping us out. And of course, I'm proud of my grandson, amen, who wouldn't be. So it's nice to welcome Declan into the world and having them with us today as well. But so last week we, we started and we talked about the Lord's Prayer. How many met? were here last week? And, we, and Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the Lord's Prayer. Many of you maybe have memorized it or heard it or repeated it in a prayer. But the Lord gave us that prayer, and I just want to remind you of this last week. He gave us that prayer as a model prayer. And so I know we had handouts last week, and some people said they didn't get them. Some were online and they didn't get them. And so there are more handouts in the back which talk about the seven dimensions that are revealed in that prayer from Jesus on how to pray. And so you can pick that up at the information desk back there. But I just want to remind you, Jesus gave us a pattern of how we should be praying. And the week before that, when we talked about prayer, we, we actually looked at the actual prayers that Jesus himself prayed. The prayer that he prayed the night in the, at the Passover meal, the prayer there, the prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the prayer that he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so we have been learning from Jesus how to pray. I mean, he is the master prayer, wouldn't you say amen to that? And so he has given us instructions and teachings throughout Scripture on how we should, as Christians, be praying. And so he not only gave us the Lord's Prayer, but he also gave us many other examples. And what I want to highlight here is, you know, we have been talking about finding joy in the journey this year, and that you can find joy in the journey no matter what, because joy is an internal thing that comes from God, that comes from a connection with God, and comes from a connection with Jesus and also the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was filled with joy, and this inner joy came from his relationship with God the Father. The reason he could have joy in the midst of what Jesus went through every day when he had to deal with the religious Pharisees and the people who wanted to kill him and the people who resisted him, and also dealing with thousands of people coming to him for healing, for deliverance, uh, for wisdom, for insight. And Jesus always had, in my view, this attitude of joy, and then he passed that joy on to others, but that joy came from his connection to God the Father in prayer. And prayer is an essential quality that we must have as a Christian if we want to be like Jesus. 
We have to cultivate prayer. We have to practice prayer. We have to do prayer. We need to learn about prayer. We need to take time to pray because if we grab a hold of this thing called prayer, it'll change your life. I'm always recommending books to you. Great book, Pivotal Prayer by Tim Elmore and John Hall. Live Like Jesus, Putty Putman. He's one of our teachers, by the way, in our Grow class and also in our School of Kingdom Ministry. Experiencing God by Blackaby. And then lastly, Growing in Prayer by Mike Bickle. Mike Bickle is the founder of International House of Prayer. They have been praying at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. By the way, their anniversary was this week. They have done this 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 20 years this last week. Amen. They need a round of applause. Prayer 24-7 for 20 years. So he wrote a book called Growing in Prayer. And if anybody knows about prayer, I'd say Mike Bickle kind of comes at the top. And, I, you know, and for me, you know, I, I was listening to some of his teachings this week, and they had a big celebration this week, so I was catching it online and listening to it. But I was challenged once again how important it is for us to really cultivate the habit of prayer. And we need to learn from Jesus because Jesus throughout the Gospels gives us teaching upon teaching upon teaching upon teaching about how we need to pray. And we're going to look at another teaching today from Jesus. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12, or if you have your phone or iPad or whatever you got. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in front, underneath the chair in front of you. But I want you to follow along with me as once again, Jesus is reminding us of the importance of prayer and basically why we should pray. If I could title my sermon today, it's find joy in the journey through prayer and then the little tagline, why pray? And Jesus tells us why we should pray, why it's important to pray. And we find it located in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. So let's read our scripture. Uh, you can follow along. I'll read it up here. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He's talking about prayer. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. And then he goes on to clarify what he just said there about this idea of asking, seeking, and knocking, and also there's receiving in there. And he clarifies a little bit more in verse 9, and Jesus says, which of you, if his son, or you could say daughter, asks for bread, will give him a stone? He goes, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets, but it's this idea is Jesus is saying to us, we need to ask God for things, and it's okay to ask God for things. It's okay to ask God to heal my my daughter, amen? It's okay to pray for Yelitsa and Marco because she's at 27 weeks with her baby, and most of you know that's not good. She needs to get further along. So she is in Loyola University Hospital. We're going to continue to pray for Yelitsa and Marco that God does a miracle, amen? And that she can hold and maintain that baby all the way to, to as long as she needs to to have a healthy 
uh, baby there. So we want to pray for them. But there's this idea that we got to come back and, and we're really told about how important it is for us to ask, how important it is for us to pray. Anybody ever heard of a guy by the name of uh, Bach? Johann Sebastian Bach, who lived 1685 to 1750. Anybody ever heard of this guy? Okay. Many of you probably have heard some of his cantatas. Many of you heard some of his music. Probably heard it play on the radio, maybe through some type of uh, TV show or movie or whatever. See, he prayed a prayer at the beginning of his career, by the way, which is recorded and documented. And this was his prayer, by the way. Jesus... Help show your glory through the music I write. May it bring you joy even as it brings joy to your people. So Johann Sebastian Bach, at the beginning of his music career, actually prayed a prayer that's written and documented, asking Jesus to use his music to glorify him and to make him please, but to also to please this world. That's a pretty big prayer, isn't it? And if you look at him in 1723, after years of studying, having held several other prominent musical positions, Bach settled in in Germany where he remained until his death. He became the musical director and choir master at St. Thomas Church and School. Bach's tenure there was kind of dismal in his own view and in his own bio, you know, kind of notes and stuff that he would write. He struggled with the council who was critical of his work and really unwilling to pay him a reasonable salary for his work. Yet it was in this unfortunate environment that Bach wrote his most enduring spiritual and life-changing music of all time, including his classic Mass in B minor, The Passion of St. John, and The Passion of St. Matthew. As a matter of fact, during this time of his life as a composer, he would write, most composers today may write one cantata a year, by the way. And in this tenure of his life, Bach was writing a cantata every single week. As a matter of fact, he wrote 202 of them. Week after week after week after week. Johann knew that without Jesus' help, going back to his prayer, he would never be able to complete the task of composing each new piece. So before writing the first note on every one of the scripts of the 202 cantatas that he wrote, he would make these initials. They would start it. And the initial that he would have would be the letters JJ. So you'd see his cantata wrote, but in the left-hand corner there'd be JJ, a little bit bigger than the rest of his font. And JJ was short for Jesu Juva, which is Jesus help me. Jesus help me write this music for your glory. And so other people are touched by it. He prayed to Jesus before he wrote every one of his cantanas that Jesus would use this cantana to change the world. With that, the music began to pour from his soul and his spirit and onto the page, he would say. When he was finally satisfied, he would, at the end of the cantata, write these letters, big letters, S-D-G, at the bottom of the page. These letters stood for Solia Dio Gloria, for the glory of God alone, is what they meant. 
I bet you didn't know that about Bach, did you? So a little music history lesson today. But I want you to know his prayer was that whenever the music was played, that it would point toward God and would glorify God and also touch people's hearts. Nearly 75% of Bach's 1,000 compositions were written for use in worship, by the way. And because of his talent, his love for Jesus Christ, and the impact of his musical contributions, Bach is often called the fifth evangelist noted in the Gospels because of all that he has written. Now, I want you to go back to what was the source of his strength? What was the source of his success? Can anybody go back to it? It was his prayers. It was his prayer that no matter what he did, he would use his talent for God. It didn't matter, and by the way, it doesn't matter what your talent is for God or what you do for God, but if you give God the glory and you focus on Jesus and you ask Jesus to help you because that is a prayer, I believe he'll use whatever it is he's gifted you and challenged you to do for his glory. See, do you see the power of a simple prayer? It's a simple prayer to God from a heart who is sold out for him. Do you see what God can do with one prayer and a person who is committed to Jesus through his lifetime? And it all comes back to what Jesus teaching his disciples and teaching those that are following him. And it's all really about, Lord, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, all right, I'll teach how to pray. In chapter 6, I'll give you the Lord's Prayer as an instruction manual of seven things you should do daily in your prayer time. And you should focus on these seven things. If you want more information about that, grab the handout in the back. And then a few verses later, a few teachings later, he comes back to prayer again, and he says, hey, listen up, everyone. If you want God to do something for you, you need to do the first step. And the first step that you need to do is you need to ask. How many know we have not because we what? We ask not. By the way, that's a scripture verse in James. We have not because we ask not. We don't ask God for miracles. We don't ask God to intervene in my job. We don't ask God to help me write a cantata. We don't ask God to take my music and anoint it so much that it, it glorifies him and also uplifts other people. We don't have because maybe the things I say or the things I do, I don't ask God to be a part of that. Help me do this, Lord. And then when I'm done, I don't give God the glory. See, I think we miss it today in our society when it comes to prayer. The Matthew 7, 7 through 12 scripture is so simple on the surface that we are in danger of failing to recognize its immense and deep message from Jesus. Can I say it again this week? Maybe you need to read it this week by yourself slowly, carefully, meditatively. Jesus is instructing his disciples to ask, seek, and to knock. But to get a response to a request, we have to do these things. We have to ask, we have to seek, and we have to knock. And so Jesus in this section is basically telling us why we should pray. He taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Now he's telling us this is why you should pray for those miracles. And the challenge is, are you willing to ask? Are you willing to seek? Are you willing to knock? And so I want to talk about these points here, and I want to challenge you to think about, are you asking, are you seeking, and are you knocking? So my three points are pretty simple. This is not a deep, theological, complicated sermon or message. It's pretty simple. 
But it's so simple, a lot of people don't do it because I think they think it's too simple. Can I get an amen to that? It's really just saying, Lord, I, I need your help. Maybe it's before you start work that day. Maybe when you get up in the morning, you say, Lord, help my day glorify you. Help use me throughout the day. Maybe it's at a crisis moment and you think you can do it yourself and you never ask God to help you in your crisis moment because you think you can fix it yourself. See, the first thing we need to do is we need to pray so that you receive. Prayer is asking for things within the will of God and then his answer, he answers you and you will receive. Now, the first dimension that Jesus talks about is asking and receiving. Now, you got to go back to the Lord's Prayer for how to pray. You do need to be praying for the will of God. And if you know the will of God, you pray and ask things within the context of the will of God. Now, back we learned back in the Lord's Prayer that God promises to meet and supply your daily need. Can I shout? Can I have a, I, I'm going to say, can I shout amen? 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 Do you ask God for your daily need? He promises in the scripture to meet your daily need. You can pray for your daily needs. That's all within God's will. God promises to provide and supply and give you clothes and all this. Now, when you step outside of need and go into what I call the realm of luxury, that's not so much necessarily in the will of God. That's another dimension. But in the will of God, and you may say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm not, I really am confused about finding the will of God. Well, number one, James chapter one says, if you lack wisdom, call upon God and he'll give you wisdom. In other words, wisdom will help you get connected with the will of God for your life or the will of God for the situation and scenario that's happening around you. God does communicate to us through his Bible, through messages, sermons like this, through books, Christian books like these, what his will is. God communicated very clearly what his will is. It's the other reality is, are we willing to listen to what the will of God is for a certain situation, or do we want to reinterpret God's will and change things to make people happy in our society, or to do this or do that, or to make myself happy? Are we willing to listen to the voice of God for his will? Because if we are and we pray within that will, he says, if you ask, you will receive. So think about this. How do you know the will of God? Well, there's a great book, Experiencing God by Blackaby. I think it's the best book out there for helping you discover the will of God. They talk about seven realities in this book, and I'm just going to highlight them. Number one is you need to know the important key here in knowing the will of God for this world and for your life is you need to understand what's happening around you in connection with God. Number one, their first reality is God is always at work around you. Jesus said, I am always about my father's business. He was always understanding God is always at work. Can I tell you something? God is still at work this morning, today, right now, within this world, even within the state of Illinois. Hello? God is at work in the state of Illinois. I know we sometimes don't think he is, but he is. 
And so our view is we need to understand that God is always at work around you. You just need to open your spiritual eyes to see what he is doing. And sometimes you may just say, well, I don't know how to do that, and that's okay. You don't know how to open, how to open your spiritual eyes. Just say, Lord, can you open my spiritual eyes to see you at work around me today? That's prayer, by the way. Lord, can you help me see you doing things today throughout my life? And trust me, he'll open your eyes. Secondly, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. But it needs to be maintained by you. So the next reality to learn the will of God is to understand God is always pursuing a love relationship with you. He never stops. You know who stops that relationship? It's usually us. He wants it. He desires it. He, he wants you to get there. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to hear his voice through the Bible, through the word of God, through Christian books, through listening to sermons, and through prayer. Mike Bickle, 20 years, International House of Prayer, I listened to one of his sessions this week, and he said, for 20 for 40 years, he said, I had the vision to start the International House of Prayer 20 years before it ever started. And he said, you know what the struggle was in those 20 years? He said, I really didn't believe the vision that God gave me could actually literally come to pass. Is it good to be honest with ourselves? And he said, for 20 years, God would send prophet after person speaking to him and saying, you're going to do this movement. This is going to happen through you. This is going to happen here. And matter, one guy even came up to him and said, one day you will, you will own Harry S. Truman's property. And he laughed at that one. Sure I will. By the way, 10 years into, their, into the movement, they were able to buy the, the property in this one part of Grant's view, and they found out it was owned by who? Truman. And he said, God relentlessly pursued me for those 20 years up until I started this thing, and he still has pursued me. He says, he never let me drop the vision. He never let me give up. He never let my unbelief get in the way. He just kept on me. He kept on me. He kept on me. He kept telling me he loved me. He kept telling me, I can't do this. I'm going to do this. Can you say amen to that? See, he didn't have to work out all the logistics. He didn't have to figure out the money. He didn't have to figure out how all this was going to work. You know what God told Mike Bickle to do? Basically one thing. If you pray, I'll do the rest. If you give me time and prayer every single day, I'll meet and supply all your needs. I'll provide the buildings. I'll provide the people. I'll provide the staff. I'll provide the millions. And by the way, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars because they also have International House of Prayer Institute, which is a school, which, by the way, they bought the building that the school sits in for 300 and which I think it was 300. Let me think about this. It was about 330 something like that. I can't remember exactly. It's either 3 million or 300,000, okay? So you're going to have to help my 59-year-old memory right now. But they needed an exact amount of money. I think it was 3.3 million now that I think about it. And so this couple had come from another state to the prayer house 
And they were praying for a week at the prayer house because they wanted a sabbatical and a break. And as they were praying, the Lord says to the one lady of this husband who's a multimillionaire, you need to give the International House of Prayer $3.3 million to buy a building that they're going to open a school to teach more people how to go out and reach this world for Christ through prayer. So the lady went up to one of the workers in the, in the house of prayer room and said, is there someone we can talk to about donating money? And so she, the person she talked to, hitched her up with another person. And they came there and says, do you have a big need right now? And the guy said, well, we're actually looking at a building over here. And by the way, I've been to the building. I've walked around the building. It's a large L-shaped uh, strip mall. It's amazing what they've done in there. And she goes, yeah, we're looking at a building over here in Grandview. So they go over, they walk through the building. The owner of the building walks with them as they're walking through the building. And they walk through the whole building. And they get to the end. And the lady and the guy, and the guy's standing there. And, and Mike says, it's kind of funny because you could tell he's not real excited about this whole thing, okay? The wife is very excited about this thing. He's not. And so they ask the owner, how much is the building? And he goes... $3.3 million. The wife looks at the husband. He goes, oh, I hate it when God does this kind of stuff. Takes out his checkbook, writes a check for $3.3 million to buy the building. That's a power of prayer. Ask and you will receive within the context of God's will. Understanding that God's at work pursuing a relationship to do the miraculous. And next, God invites you to become involved in him in his work. That's what he did to Mike. That's what he's challenging us to do. Fourthly, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible and prayer to us, through circumstances and through the church and through messages. And he communicates his purpose and his ways to us. God's invitation is for you to work with him always, leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Prayer and stepping out in faith will put you into a crisis of belief situation of that God can do this. And you understand in that moment, only God can do this. You can't. You don't have the resources. You don't have the ability. You don't have the talent. And you don't have what it takes to get this thing done. But God does. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing if you want to know his will. And lastly, you come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. I listened to a few of Mike Bickle's messages this week. They had over a thousand documented answers to prayer that they were walking through this whole week all the way from buildings being donated to money being donated to people being set free to things opening up globally for them to the school, which, by the way, their school now has over 2,500 students in it in their school, to all these things happening. And it all comes from prayer because it comes back to what Jesus said in 1 John, or excuse me, what, what is said in 1 John chapter 5 by John, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. 
Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. All these are promises of Scripture that God will answer your prayers as they are in the context of his will. So that's point one. You have to ask, and you need to discover what God's will is for the situation or scenario that you're praying for. Secondly, you pray to find what you are looking for. Now, this, by the way, is some people don't know what God's will is for a certain situation or scenario. So what needs to happen is, is you need to pray to find out what God's will is. And so you need to do the things I just shared prior. But it's this idea that I really don't know if this is God's will. I don't know what his will is in this situation. But the Bible says here, you need to look. And we can go into James chapter 1, 5 and 6 again. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he or she asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. There's this whole element here that sometimes when we're praying for things, we don't know what God's will is, what the situation or scenario is, but we need to pray anyways. Can you, can you understand that? We still need to pray. We're commanded to pray in Scripture. And through this praying, we find that there's those who ask and receive and there's those who seek as he says in our teaching. And people who are seeking are looking for answers. They're looking for direction. Prayer is seeking and finding what is the will of God for this situation. And sometimes we don't know. And it could be a situation at your workplace. Could be a situational relationship thing. Could be a community thing. Could be whatever. And we just need to be praying. See, Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. And so we really do need to get the mind of God or for whatever it is that we're not really sure if this is God's will or not. And I got another story for you, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor. He was a young pastor. He was a German pastor, theologian. And he was one of the first pastors to stand up and resist Adolf Hitler's regime. And he stood up against Adolf Hitler. As a matter of fact, when Adolf Hitler did his first speech, the next day, Dietrich Bonhoeffer got on his radio program and shared his story of why this guy was off kilter. Stood up to him. Bonhoeffer was a young pastor and speaker when Hitler rose to power, was one of the earliest critics of the Nazi regime. He was among a group of pastors and theologians who launched the Confessing Church, a movement that denounced the infiltration of Nazi theodiology into the German evangelical church. Ultimately, Bonhoeffer was charged with his connections to resistance groups. He was arrested, taken to a concentration camp where he spent two years in a concentration camp, being sentenced to death, right before the end of World War II. As a matter of fact, he was executed about a month before the end of World War II. But there was a doctor who watched his execution. And it's interesting that this doctor was present at his murder, and he described this of what he observed of this young pastor. He said the prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of court-martial were read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer. Before taking off his prison garb, he was kneeling on the floor praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayers. 
At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed to the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds, but in almost the 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I've never seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God for his life as this man. He later discovered that one of the prayers that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the day that he was executed was this. Restore me to liberty, O Lord, and enable me so to live now that I may answer before you and before the world. Lord, whatever this day may bring, let your name be praised as I submit my will to yours. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing that this man sought the will of God and would go to the extreme of whatever it would take. Now, he may not have agreed with the will of God. Can, can you get that? But he sought the will of God. See, the second reason we praise is seek and find the will of God for our life and our situations in life. Prayer brings wisdom and insight into the unknown realms of life of things that we are praying for. And God promises to give us wisdom and insight. Thirdly, lastly, you pray knowing God's will. You pray so the door is open for you. You know God's will in a situation. You're absolutely convinced of God's will from the word, from his teaching, from what scripture says. And yet the door is an opening for that prayer request that you prayed over and over. It's a persistent prayer, by the way. It's a tenacious prayer. It's prayer knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until the door opens. It's a prayer that never gives up because you know the will of God for the situation or scenario. And you're going to say, well, how does that relate? You know, what does it mean to knock and 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 to knock? You know, I thought you only had to pray one time. Well, I don't see that in Scripture. Sometimes we have to intercede for something to have a breakthrough. And we got to keep praying and we got to keep knocking and we got to keep asking. The last great revival in Chicago was in 1917, by the way. This church kind of burst out of that revival in 1917. People that helped found this church in 1927 were part of that great revival of 1917. That's the last great revival in Chicago. But since that time, people have been praying and praying and praying and praying for another great revival to sweep across the city of Chicago. And honestly, we haven't seen it yet. But it doesn't mean that you give up. Can, you, can I get an amen to that? It doesn't mean you throw the towel in. It doesn't mean that you say it's never going to happen. It doesn't mean that you quit. It doesn't mean, and I know this is happening, it doesn't mean you just leave the state and run away. We've had over 400,000 people move out of the state in the last year. We're down that many in population because they're all getting out of the state. Because I have pastor friends of mine saying, How's, how, how is it in the pit of hell of Illinois? I'm like, we're praying persistently for a revival. So we are. Can I tell you something? Persistent, tenacious prayer never quits. I was at 40 Days for Life this week, which is an organization that come out of the pro-life movement. And I was very encouraged by one of the presenters. Her name was Jill Stanek. And Jill got up to say, look, we have been praying now since the Roe versus Wade decision and nobody talks about the good news that have been made, the headway that has been made just within the last few years in regards to overturning Roe versus Wade. She says, so let me just highlight a few. Now, if you would like a copy of her speech, 
you can sign up on the back uh, table back there uh, and sign it up. I can either email it to you or get your copy. Uh, there's also some other information back there as well. And by the way, I want you to understand me very clearly. I am not being political when it comes to abortion. I am being biblical. Hello? What is moral and what is right? God looks at life at conception. And you can go read that in Scripture. But here's some of the things she says we need to know are good that are happening in our country. may not be happening in the state of Illinois, but it is happening in our country. There have been 150 confirmed judges who are pro-life. The U.S. Supreme Court affirms free speech for pro-life pregnancy centers because the abortion group, the pro-choice group, was trying to tell them that you can't have freedom of speech and tell people not to get abortions, and here's alternative. They were trying to stop them from doing that. By the way, trying to take away other people's freedom of speech. The NIH research on aborted baby parts was defunded just recently in, in 2018. Protections for pro-life health care workers were strengthened in the last things that passed through the Senate in 2018. The new Title X rule blocks funding to Planned Parenthood, which passed December 2018. The HHS enforces conscious protection laws are now being put into play when they weren't put into play before. States are freed to block Planned Parenthood from receiving Medicaid funds. New Office for Conscience Protection at HHS. This is in January 2018, the Department of Health and Human Services announced the creation of the Conscious and Religious Freedom Division within the Office for Civil Rights. The new office works to protect the healthcare professionals who do not want to participate in abortion. In other words, they can't force people to participate in abortions anymore and have them lose their jobs. Planned Parenthood under federal investigation, it says. The Justice Department confirmed that Planned Parenthood is under federal investigation for its involvement in the harvesting and the trafficking of aborted baby body parts. Yeah. Settlements, a new rule regarding uh, the, another mandate was passed in 2017. The Mexico City policy was reinstated January 2017, which said that no longer can our money that goes to other nations be used for abortion. So the funding that we would help another nation out can't be used for abortion. United Nations Population Fund defunded of U.S. tax dollars. Uh, and then there's so many more. I mean, she just gave me a list of all the good things. And by the way, she says, all of these are an answer to prayer. See, this is where you keep knocking. Can you say hello? This is where you don't give up. It's when you know the will of God, and the will of God is for every baby to be born. Can I have an amen to that? This is, this is like a no-brainer. But in our society, we don't seem to understand that anymore. And, and the reality is everybody has a right to life. It, it's, it's fundamental in the Bible. It's a biblical thing. You have a right to be born. And so, you know, she went on to say, and I put another thing out there too, if you weren't aware of it, but with the change of legislation that came here just uh, a few months back, I want you to know that there's this out on the back, and you need to read this. You need to see what the new legislation in Illinois has done. Matter of fact, they increased their salary. By the way, the average total cost to Illinois taxpayers equals more than they are now getting paid 100000 per lawmaker, even though it's a part-time job now. They gave themselves raises was the first thing they did. They doubled the gasoline tax to 38 cents per gallon, plus a percentage increase every July 1st from here on, as long as they hold power 
in the Illinois legislature. They want to change the flat tax to a progressive graduated income tax, which means they want to get a constitutional override that doesn't allow them to do this so that they can raise taxes even more so. They have increased the vehicle registration and driver license fees. They gave health, free health care to inmates. They allow inmate voting now. Allow inmates to vote in jail and prisons and establish a polling place at Cook County Jail, which used to be outlawed, by the way. Uh, they expanded abortion. You can read about that. They legalized, of course, marijuana. They passed child indoctrination in taxpayer-funded schools. You might ask, well, what is that? They have uh, put in, from kindergarten through 12th grade textbooks which positively portray the roles and, contribu and contributions of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender behavior. To graduate eighth grade, the child must show proficiency in these matters. Accomplishments should be based on merit, not sexual behavior, it goes on to say. Uh, they legalized same-sex marriage. They passed the Equal Rights Amendment Law. Uh, they've removed rights of conscience that people who are forced now to do medical abortions in our state, who were by the national law, they, they were not forced to do it. The Illinois law is saying they have to do it. Uh, they banned counseling for minors who suffer from one unwanted same-sex attraction and gender confusion. They passed driver's license stuff that says now you get the, you're going to see on your new driver's license, it'll say male, female, or other. That's coming out on your driver's license, by the way, just so if you don't know what you are. Uh, they've expanded gambling, made it Illinois a sanctuary state. They've increased the minimum wage, which, of course, is going to have all kinds of repercussions for people losing jobs. And I can go on and on and on, but you can read about that in the back there. Pick one up just so you know what your legislature is up to. But can I say it again? Think about all the answered prayers. Now, I want to say this. Now, if you read this, you can say, man, this is like an overwhelming task. How do we, how do we change the progression of where the state of Illinois is going? <laughs> you want my word? Pray. We need to pray. We need to pray and intercede. We need to knock on the kingdom of doors, heaven. Lord, we need a miracle in Illinois. We need a revival. We need to save babies' life. Lord, show me how to save babies' lives. Show me what I need to do, God. Show me what needs to happen. Lord, let's have a miracle. Let's do this. And, and, and you know what? I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican because it's kind of been kind of both groups that kind of done this kind of stuff. You hear me? It's not about that. It's about the Christians standing up for what is right and what is biblical. How bad can it get? How many read about the guy, the abortion doctor who... They found over 2,000 babies in his home, aborted babies. You can read about that. You can see how bad all this stuff is. But what I want to tell you is the power of prayer can change the direction of even the state of Illinois. But it starts with us. We have to pray. We have to intercede. We have to knock. Can I tell you something? All things are possible when you ask, seek, and knock. That's scripture. So let's stand. I'm going to have Beth come up to the piano. So here's what I want you to do. Before you leave today, I've got maybe, uh, Brendan, can you help me out here? I've got some post-its. And Isa, can you help me out too? I want you to hand out these post-its. 
and we need to ask Nicole. You can help too if you could, please. There's there's pens in here too. If you don't have, if they don't have pens, I'd like you to write a prayer request to God. Maybe you haven't asked for something, and maybe you need to ask for something. But I'd like you to write it on your post-its. I'm going to stick this right up front here, and here's my commitment to you. Whatever your prayer request is, I will make sure this week I pray for all these prayer requests. Amen. We're going to get it off on our prayer teams. We're going to get it off on our prayer chain, and we're going to pray for requests. Because if we never ask what, we can't what? Receive. And so seriously, write down your prayer request. Throw it in the bin here. And we're just going to pray and ask God to answer these requests. Because I really believe God laid on my heart that we should do this today. That we need to ask, okay? And, and, and you know, we can see babies' lives saved. It can happen. You know, I mean, you know, it's great to have Beth with us. Where's Beth? The Beth, of course, you're behind me. Beth got, <laughs> Beth got the pleasure of being able to adopt a baby, amen, instead of that baby being aborted. Can you say amen to that? And you'll see Amelia running around here. And that's what we want to do, amen? And maybe they can't take his baby, but I'm sure there's a whole lot of people who would love to adopt them. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. And I thank you more than anything else, God, that you promise us that if we pray in accordance with your will, you promise to answer and we will receive. And Lord, you also promise in Scripture that if we seek your will, your guidance, your wisdom, that you'll give us clarity and you'll give us insight into whatever it is we're praying for. But thirdly, Lord, you tell us that we should never quit praying. We should never give up. Even if the odds look against us, even if it looks like a giant Goliath, that you promise that you can bring down any Goliath. And Lord, we pray for the state of Illinois, Lord. We pray for a returning to your biblical roots. But more than anything else, Lord, we pray that you would set forth a revival that would sweep across our state. That people would discover your presence. They would discover your love. They would discover your forgiveness. That they would discover how much you care for them. That they would discover that you want a personal relationship with them, Lord. And Lord, we just ask that you would just do a supernatural thing this week. Lord, take these requests as we present them up to your throne room in heaven. And Lord, we know that you're going to respond to these requests. We know, God, that you're going to touch Yelitsa Marco there in the hospital in Laola today, Lord. Encourage them. Give them peace in the midst of the storm, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for all the answered prayers you've already answered, God. And Lord, we just want to give you the glory and give you the praise and say, Lord, we want to be used by you to make a difference in this world. Because, Lord, you gave us prayer. Not only to pray for ourselves, but to pray for others. So, Lord, help us pray for others, we ask. In Jesus' holy name, amen.